When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is another Monday Madness edition. I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug Lee Maurice from Cleveland.com. And it is not the usual Monday Madness. We don't have the whole big column that I'm writing. We're not doing the same categories as always, but uh, still a bit of madness in the air because it is the official start of preparations for the sugar bowl Ohio state is back at practice getting ready to play clemson on friday for a college football playoff semifinal very different for us this year though at this time last year a week before kickoff we're already out in arizona um hanging out in the mountains looking for wild animals and and lizards and stuff all over the place and enjoying the weather and enjoying the 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 company of our, our our fellow beat people uh, in the, the the hospitality room and those sorts of things. And this year it's the same as it's been every single day of, of this season so far, really. It's a lot of Zoom meetings and we're not going to New Orleans till later this week, Stephen and I. So it has, to me, a little bit sucked the, the energy out of this a, a little bit. I'm going to be interested to see what it's like after tomorrow, after Tuesday. You know, usually bowl week is a chance to do some interviews you can't normally do. You're getting some one-on-one times, trying to dart in and out. And here it's still going to be very structured along, you know, getting the same players that everybody else is getting in the same Zoom feed that everybody else is getting. So it's not quite the same. But uh, I think Ohio State probably behind the scenes will have to start, like, ramping up that energy on its own if it hasn't already. Well, it's just a game. I mean, it's just you had a bye week, and then you are playing a game. So you have 13 days between games. They're not flying down until the day before the game. So there's nothing about this that's a bowl. They just happen to be playing. It's like they're playing. They may as well be playing Tulane in a non-conference game that they decided to play in New Orleans. It just so happens that Tulane has the number one pick in the draft at quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, not like any Tulane team I've ever heard of, but I see what you're saying, yeah. It's remarkable how um, bowls 
the system is, is weird. The bowls themselves are weird, but it is a nice vacation after a long season for players. But it's not a vacation this year. It's a burden. The bowl's a burden, which is why a bunch of teams opted out. We've already talked about that. So this is just a game. It's not a burden for Ohio State. They want to play. This is what they fought for is a chance to play this. But there's no festivities. I mean, I'm, over the years, all the things I've covered, if you're going to watch people eat roast beef and they're doing – you know, some kind of goofy thing at the team pool or whatever. There's just, there's just none of that. And so I'll be curious to see what the level of play is like. Um, but they're practicing, you know, a lot of the, you're practicing at weird high schools, you know, out in the, in the desert of Arizona or at some high school down the street in New Orleans or whatever. And they're not doing that. They just get to practice in their own facility. I mean, I would, I would think to some degree, like the work you, you get done, you might get more work done because there's no – coaches might like it. Coaches might be like, we're never letting anybody eat roast beef at a bowl again. We're just working and showing up the day before because it's all about football. That's it. And honestly, like with the way the playoff works now, I mean, sometimes it's a little weird to me because the national championship game is all about football. They don't do this goofy pregame stuff. But because the bowls are bowls and they want you to show up and have a parade and have a mariachi band at the airport, the semifinals are still treated like bowls and you go a week ahead. You don't go a week ahead to the national championship game. You'd go like two or three days ahead. That's a football game. So now the semifinals are more like that. So it's just all about business. I was literally about to say, I I think this might be something that the coaches sort of embrace this week. If I was a coach, I mean, in normal years, it's not like the coach is getting on the horn with the Fiesta Bowl. It's not like Ryan Day is calling down there being like, hey, I know we don't have to be there till Friday, but is there any way you can like hook up some kind of a a goat ranch or whatever that we have to be at on Tuesday for a big photo op? Like, that's not what the teams want. It's not what the coaches want. That's the, what the bowl wants. And they go along with it because of the money and the exposure and the branding and all that. I think the coaches, I think you're right. I think they're, they're fine with this other than having to do maybe the late travel right before a game. But again, that's something else that they've done already this year. That's almost the, more the routine than it would be any other way because the, the, the last minute uh, trips that they've made a couple times this year. Yeah. I mean, I, this was, I mean, I tell the stories of, of, for the national championship in new Orleans after the 2007 season, it's like I was out at bourbons on bourbon street late at night and there were Ohio state players out on bourbon street late at night. And it's like, okay, well that's not happening this year because they're not, they're going to show up and play a football game. So there is part of it that I hope this isn't, I actually think as much as we all complain about the bowls and stuff, I actually do, think they've done a decent job of folding the playoff into the bowl system. Cause I don't think every aspect of the bowl system stinks. I mean, it is, it's kind of a fun little treat for a lot of fans and a lot of players. Um, and I think they've kind of done a good job with that. So it just won't be that this year. Yeah. And, and again, even those of us who criticize the bowls sometimes, I think there's a difference between the bowls that are two, six and six teams and the bowls that are two really good teams that are playing and ones that people actually like to watch and look forward to watching. They like make your um, kind of an appoint, appointment viewing. So I think there is a distinction to be made there. And this is, this is certainly one of those. Um, but there is a game to be played. This is obviously the second year in a row that Ohio State is playing Clemson. Right now, uh, checked right before we started, Tigers are still a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, uh, which we covered last week on Madness and, and how they come up with that number and, and what that means. Uh, Doug, you have been kind of reaching out to our tech subscribers, 614-350-3315. If you haven't joined up, two-week free trial. If you get in now, it takes you through the semifinal, and um, you can get all of our coverage for all of this week that we'll be sending out texters starting at 10 a.m. tomorrow uh, Monday morning when we talk to Clemson coach Davos Sweeney and and get the interview started there but you've been reaching out on a couple of topics and I thought we would start more along just the matchup side of things 
why don't you just take us from there? You're, you're asking, I guess, specifically about how this Clemson offense or how this Ohio State defense matches up against Clemson's offense. I do have a Coastal Carolina rant for later. Okay. Whatever box that fits in. Okay. But we'll find a space for that. The thing that this is, this reflects a lot of, and I hope you guys went and read it. I put it up on Christmas Day, and it was a breakdown that Matt Connolly, who was on our podcast, he and I did a breakdown writing it out where I wrote out everything comparing this Ohio State team by position group to last year's Ohio State team and whether I thought this year's Ohio State team was better or worse than last year. And Matt did the same for Clemson. So that's at cleveland.com. You can find that. It's a really good breakdown, just sort of back and forth about everything. But the thing that I, over the last couple of days, have become focused upon uh, one way or another, maybe right or wrong, is the Clemson offense. Maybe it's just because I'm dumb and the offensive guys are more famous. But it's not, it's not LSU's offense from last year. It's not Alabama's offense from this year. It's not even the Clemson offenses of the past that we've seen with Sammy Watkins and Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams and guys like that. Um, but there still are parts of it that I think are difficult for Ohio State to handle. So I asked specifically in the text about so, sort, of, sort of four of the main ones, the four things that popped to my mind when we had our discussion on the podcast last week. But my, the first one was, what are your overall thoughts on Ohio State's defense stopping Clemson? And these were the choices from most worried to least worried. Uh, freaked out that Ohio State can't stop Clemson. That was one choice. Moderately worried that Ohio State can't stop Clemson, but maybe the Buckeyes can win a shootout. That was the second most worried choice. A bit worried about Clemson offense, but their wide receivers aren't that great. So, like, that's the third most worried. And the least worried, I believe, in Ohio State's defense in this matchup, it'll be fine. So those were the four most worried to least worried. Nathan, what do you think won the poll of Texters? So I think if you just walked up to the average Ohio State fan or maybe the average Ohio Buckeye Talk listener and said, are you freaked out that Ohio State can't stop Clemson? I think they might say yes. But I think when you give them these other choices, I think they actually might come up with the second worst answer, which is moderately worried that OSU can't stop Clemson, but maybe Buckeyes can win a shootout. That would be my, that would be my guess as the number one choice. That is correct. 63%, the overwhelming choice. A bit worried, but their wide receivers aren't that great. So the third most nervous, that was the second choice at 20%. But I always like when we have extremes, I like to compare how the, the, the extremes wound up against each other. So there's freaked out, I'm freaked out, and there's like, I'm not worried at all. Those are obviously probably going to be the lowest two, but which one actually got more? Freaked out did get more. 13% are freaked out. Only 5% say, I believe in this Ohio State defense. And that doesn't surprise me. But it is, I will say, man, if Clemson had Sammy Watkins <laughs> or Mike Williams or T. Higgins or Justin Ross, who's been hurt all year, in addition to what they actually have, man, would maybe some people be freaked out because 13% are already freaked out and they're, you know, they have the number one pick on the draft, the cornerback, and they have an All-American running back, but they don't have the receiver talent as usual. So that's still 13% freaked out. So here were the issues specifically that we got into. The four things that I kind of think from Clemens' offense that are the biggest thing to worry about. Issue one is getting enough pressure to affect Trevor Lawrence as a passer. This is the Michael Penix conundrum. Hey, good job. You got to hurry on that play, but he completed a 37-yard pass on your pressure or whatever. Like, you got a fake stat, but it didn't do anything. 
because the quarterback is really good and hung in and made a throw. That idea, the issue of getting enough pressure to affect Trevor Lawrence, I only gave three choices for all these next categories. I said, you're either very worried. It's a problem. I'm very worried about that. I'm moderately worried or I'm not worried Ohio State can stop it. Like, I'm not worried about it. So I'm not going to make it against everyone because moderately worried. Anytime you give people the middle, the middle often, often wins. 53% moderately worried about stopping Trevor Lawrence as a passer and getting enough pressure to do it. 34% very worried. 13% not worried. I'm a little interested, Nathan, that I thought might there might be more because it's just if it's about Trevor Lawrence. I mean, again, this is Trevor Lawrence. I thought there might be more people who are very worried as opposed to moderately worried. I would have picked moderately worried. That would have been it'd be both my pick as someone just watching the game, but then also my assumption of, of Ohio State fans. I don't know. I, again, I think that they've seen this season and I think they believe it. I don't think it's a, a figment of anyone's imagination that Ohio State creates pressure even when there aren't sacks so I think they've seen that they can they can create pressure that can affect him as a passer will they they're not going to shut him down that way and it does potentially create other problems which we'll get to in a second but I do think that they they've seen this this group of players um, and maybe especially the tackles and see what they could possibly do against a, a younger offensive line for Clemson to create pressure to affect Trevor Lawrence as a passer but again, we saw Haskell Garrett putting people in Michael Penix's lap against Indiana, and Michael Penix is being like, oh, okay, here's a sideline throw. So that's the thing in that second half of Indiana that I can't get out of my head. The second issue with Trevor Lawrence is stopping Trevor Lawrence when he runs. And I will tell you, Nathan, that in getting pressure to stop Trevor Lawrence as a passer, that got 34% very worried. I'll tell you, stopping Trevor Lawrence as a runner got a higher very worried percent than that. So what do you think the very worried percent was in stopping Trevor Lawrence as a runner? 46%. 47. You're getting good. Oh, I almost You've said 47. You're getting good. 47% very worried. 42% moderately worried. 11% not worried Ohio State can do it. That's interesting, but I think we put that, that – that is scarring. And when you had – when you guys heard Matt Connolly on the podcast last week – saying that, you know, I think we all maybe underestimated Trevor Lawrence as a runner. I think we all don't realize how good he is as a runner. But Matt Connolly said even he was surprised how Trevor Lawrence ran that against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl last year. But then you saw it against Notre Dame, Trevor Lawrence ripping off of a whatever 35-yard run to sort of help put the game away. And that's one of those things where you play zone, maybe you, you could do it. You play man, you turn your back, the guy sees an opening, he runs. Our, our linebackers going to tackle in space as he wind up against the safety. We saw what happened on a run last year where he wound up against the safety and it didn't go very well. Does it surprise you at all, Nathan, that, that it is higher for stopping him as a runner as opposed to can they get enough pressure to stop him as a passer? Well, again, I think that people have very strong remembrance of – that game last year. I mean, 107 yards and a touchdown on 16 carries. I mean, he really killed him with his feet. I looked it up in his five career playoff game. Well, I'll say four career playoff games and then against Notre Dame, which was not a playoff game, but it was a lose and they're out of the playoffs game last week. So in those five games, he's averaging 5.3 yards a carry and he's carrying the ball an average of 10 times a game. And it's been even more than that. The last three, I mean, um, 40 of those carries have come in the last three, the Ohio State game, the LSU game, and the Notre Dame game. So he runs more in the playoffs and in this kind of the this kind of game. 
But in all of his other career games, he still averages four yards a carry, which is actually something I think a lot of people don't know. So he just doesn't run as much. So I think that's – we've talked all season long about how – or you have. You brought this up specifically a few times about how you think that Justin Fields was kind of being saved for – as far as his legs for this time of year. And it seems like that's what they do with Trevor Lawrence. Like he's almost like the, the blueprint for that. I mean, it is remarkable how much Clemson has blown people out this year. I mean, they – they just have not played close games. I mean, they beat Notre, the Notre Dame uh, ACC championship game is 24-point win. They beat Virginia Tech by 35 before that. They beat Pitt by 35. They beat Syracuse by 26. I mean, they just – they've blown people out. And then Trevor Lawrence hasn't run, as you said. He's only had three games this year where he's run for more than 20 yards – well, four, and then the ACC championship game was the fourth. But his high in rushing before the ACC championship game this year was 41 yards. Seven carries for 41 yards and two scores against Virginia Tech. Then he goes 14 for 90 against Notre Dame. They just don't need it. They don't – why risk it? I mean, he's had games where he's run one time for two yards. He ran three times for six yards. He ran eight times for nine yards against Pitt. And when they won 52-17, why even bother? But I just – I do think people have to remember. I just don't – I really don't – I don't think he's going to win the Heisman. We did our Heisman thing. They've just blown people out so much. He could throw for 450 yards and six touchdowns every game if they were playing 52-51 games every week. But they're not, and then he sits. So what he is at his peak, running and throwing, they just don't need it most of the time. But I think to your point of – he runs when they need him and the playoff they need him. I am anticipating, right? So you're anticipating too, based on your stats, Nathan, that he will run against Ohio State. Well, I think it just seems like when they play big games, they need him to run more and he does and he's good at it. I think it's that it's kind of that simple. And it's the same with Justin Fields, right? I mean, you know, they don't necessarily need him to run a lot against. I know he had the big run against Florida Atlantic in the in the debut last year, but that was kind of a a play that just broke open like that, you know. I think more more often than not, if it's a game, you know, that they're winning by a ton and they don't have to rely on him as much, they don't. And uh, now I guess the exception to that might have been the Michigan State game, which is kind of like his the game back, and it just like worked out that way for him to for for him to kind of carry the team with his legs. But um, that was also maybe something they kind of needed that day with the offensive line that they had too. So um, I, I think if 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 Clemson if Ohio State forces Trevor Lawrence to run it's what makes Clemson really dangerous because it might be kind of playing right into their hands a little bit. Stopping Clemson slot receiver Amari Rogers. That was another issue we brought up with the tech subscribers. Moderately worried 59%, very worried 32%, not worried Ohio state can do it 9%. So that's a decent number of very worried uh, it's not quite as much as the Trevor Lawrence ones. And that I think is less about Amari Rogers and continues to be the slot issues for Ohio state, right? That like, it's not like Amari Rogers is necessarily uh, Amari Rogers. No offense from Amari Rogers. It's not Garrett Wilson. Even he's not Garrett Wilson, but it's just not, not believing necessarily in what Ohio state, how they defend that position. I would assume. Is that what you think, Nathan? I would have picked very worried is the answer there. And I, you know, what'd you say? 9% not worried. OSU can do it. I, I think that is reflective a little bit and, and all of the answers so far, like what's the best percentage so far for a not worried OSU can do it. Was it like 10% for the 12, 12. And the other one was like three. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, those, that's not a lot of confidence in your, I know they're playing Clemson. I know they're playing a really good team. I know they're playing one of the great quarterbacks that's come through college football in the last few years. But if you're getting to this stage of the year, and I know they've only played six games, but it is still December. You're getting to this stage of the year, and those are the kind of percentages that some of your diehard fans are putting in your defense. That does not bode well. And that's, this is one of the positions where it stood out the most. And I know that we talked last week about what Ohio State might try to do to counter that problem that they've had at, at slot, whether that's using uh, Josh Proctor there more, where maybe that's where you switch things up and Sean Wade takes that and you, you, you make the, the less heralded receivers beat you on the outside against other DBs. But however you do it, I think it's, it's, it's potentially causing a problem somewhere else. And he's just reliable every game. Like you're not, you aren't going to stop Amari Rogers. The only game he didn't do something big was the blowout of the Citadel, where I'm assuming they pulled everybody. But his his games otherwise, five catches for 90, six for 72, seven for 62, six for 161, and two scores against Georgia Tech. Eight for 91, seven for 66, eight for 134 in the Notre Dame loss when they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. 10 for 93 against Pitt, 3 for 32 against Virginia Tech, and 8 for 121 against Notre Dame. Like, that guy is just always there. And every other defense has seen the same same thing that Ohio State's going to see, which is like, well, this is the guy, and you still didn't take him away. And I I almost think that we're maybe looking at it the wrong way in some ways, that, like, he is going to get his a little bit. Like, I just don't know what Ohio State can do to negate him. I think he's going to be – a guy who produces in this offense the same way you would think that you can't take out both Olave and Wilson. Somebody's going to produce for Ohio state. I was looking at the rest of their receivers though. And it's interesting. Their next five guys in terms of receiving, because the way you asked an earlier question that was, uh, um, uh, I'm not that one of their options was I'm not that worried because Clemson's other receivers aren't that good. They, their next five receivers in terms of production this year, Powell was a a four star ranked number one fifty nine overall. And you got two tight ends that were three stars ranked in the 800s. But then the other two guys in the top 500 or in the top five receivers this year, um, a true freshman, EJ Williams, who's a four-star ranked number 69 overall. And then Ladson, whose name I forgot to write down, but a four-star ranked number 39 overall in the 2019 class. There is talent kind of lurking there, potentially big talent kind of lurking there. And I think the key for Ohio State in this game might be Rodgers is going to get his. You can't let him have an insane game. To some extent, he's going to get his. Can you limit all those other options, though? Are you going to let one of those guys have a, a blow-up late in the season the way Ohio State might have seen from some of its own guys late in the season in, in recent years? Are you going to maybe can, – can your guys, your more veteran guys, you know, seven banks, whoever, keep those other guys in check and not let somebody else in that receiver core blow up? Yeah, I think you might be right. I mean, I mean, what do you, it's like, okay, well, stop Amari Rogers. Like, what, is Trevor Lawrence going to throw for 106 yards? Like, he's going to throw to somebody. So maybe that is it. It's like, all right, well, Amari, Amari Rogers, just make sure the other guys don't kill you on the outside. This is the last one that we asked about a specific person. I was a little surprised by this. Travis Etienne. Handling Travis Etienne as a runner and receiver. 47% moderately worried. 28% not worried. Only 26% very worried. That surprised me because clearly ETN is the most skilled skill guy they have. He's better than Rodgers. He's better than all those other receivers you talked about. He's better than any tight end. It's sort of a matter of how they use him. Their offensive line isn't as good, so he's not his, he's averaging 5.6 yards per carry instead of 7.5 or 8. But they then have adjusted, and they throw him the ball and get him the ball in space. I would maybe lean, even though – 
I think you should believe in Baron Browning and Pete Warner and Josh Proctor and guys like that. This is where one I might lean very worried on this and very worried finish third, Nathan. I would have guessed moderately worried, um, but I am surprised that the not worried is so high just because you have to remember that Clemson is going to spend this two weeks that they're preparing for this game pouring over the ways that they can get Etienne the ball in matchup problems. They're going to look for those situations where it's a, it's a, it's a running distance and they're not going to, Ohio State might not be expecting with personnel what they can do with Etienne out in the open in a, in a passing situation or vice versa, things that they can do with him as a runner to take advantage of other personnel that's in there. I just think he is their X factor in so many ways and the guy that they can use to play off of so many other things. And also as good as, Ohio State's linebackers, I think, have been overall this year. They've been a very solid group. I ain't seen nothing like Travis Etienne this year. Just I, I mean, what, who, what, who else? Like, who else has even come uh, – like, nobody. He might be as sort of rare of a player as, as is on this roster. You know, that, that's actually an interesting story idea almost. Like, when's the last time Ohio State faced a guy twi- quite like this? I mean, I guess – I mean, Saquon was special. Saquon was special. I don't know that Penn State threw it to, to Saquon Barkley. Like, Clemson throws it to ETN. Some of his games this year against BC, uh, the first game that Trevor Lawrence was out, he ran it 20 times for 84 yards and caught seven passes for 140. So 27 touches in that game for 224 yards. Uh, in the, uh, against Miami this year, kind of like their first big game, 17 carries for 149 and two scores, eight catches for 73. So that's like 200 and. 22 yards of offense on 25 cut touches like just remarkable against Virginia 14 carries 73 yards five catches 114 yards again that's 187 yards of total offense like he just has these games where he kills you both ways and Notre Dame last time out ACC championship game, championship game only 10 carries but he had 124 yards along a 44 three catches for 12 so I mean the guy is they're gonna find a way to get him the ball and he's he's special with with his hands on the ball and like credit to Clemson for finding a way to sort of keep him involved, even if maybe their offensive line isn't great this year. Anything else you wanted to cover on those before we go to a break? Because I'm going to come back and talk about kind of the big picture of this for Ohio State. Yeah, those are our those are our things. I mean, the final rundown is the the ones where um, let's see the the very worried numbers overall off the top were. Lawrence, as a passer, very worried, was 34%. Rogers, very worried, 31%. ETN, very worried, 26%. Lawrence, as a runner, very worried, 47%. So that's a decent amount of worry, but clearly overall the biggest thing people are worried about is Travis Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence running the ball. I'm just, is this, do you think those numbers are affected by how Ohio State has ended the season, or are they just respect for what Clemson has done? I think they're scarred, as you, we mentioned before, by the Lawrence big runs. And then it's more about where Ohio State might have weaknesses necessarily than tr- clubs and strengths or weaknesses. So Travis Etienne's a great player, but I think it's more about the fact that Ohio State believes, you know, Baron Browning and Pete Werner have a chance to do that. And they're not going to be relying on Marcus Williamson or Marcus Hooker to be defending Travis Etienne. So no matter how good he is, at least they feel like they have pretty good defenders who can deal with them. And it really is more about what Ohio State maybe doesn't have than what Clemson does have. We're going to take a break there. We're going to come back and talk about 
this game and kind of the, the big picture for Ohio State and those, those tiers that we've talked about before in college football and, and what this game could mean in that pursuit here on Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. You know, we've talked a lot over the months about the, this idea of where Ohio State stands in college football elite and that Clemson and Alabama have kind of staked out that, that very top rung and Ohio State is just one rung below that or half rung below, however you want to say it. And they're trying to clatch and scratch and claw and get back up to that level. And then lo and behold, here we are in a playoff where they would have to beat likely both of those teams if they wanted to, to win this first national championship since 2014. And it's interesting to me that at the start of the year, I think we thought that this, that was all kind of setting up as a big opportunity for Ohio state. And now it's almost like the lead up to this game, the way people are talking about this game, even what we just heard from Ohio state fans talking about this game seems to be more, um, more skepticism that Ohio state is ready to make that, that leap. I think that might just be because of the way the Northwestern game went and, and the, the way that they have kind of stumbled through because of all the COVID stuff here down the stretch. But it's, it's not necessarily the vibe that I was expecting us to be talking about this game with when we envisioned exactly this kind of semifinal back in August or May or February or whenever we were talking about it over the past year. So I think this might even be the headline of the podcast now that I think about it, because this is what people were asking before the season, and now I think it's flipped. Before the season, in all sports, people were asking about, well, what if your team wins, but something's goofy, like is there an asterisk on the season? Whether, you know, oh, if the Indians win their first World Series in however long, it's like, oh, but it was a weird truncated season. Is there an asterisk? It's like, well, who cares? Like you take the title. Or if the Browns win, finally the Browns might make the playoffs for the first time in, since 2002. But is it weird? Is there? And now I feel like, or if Ohio State, right? Even like, okay, well, maybe this, you know, did this team not play? Or this league didn't play? And I just sort of all along was like, listen, like if they play, right? I mean, if they play and it's at all a somewhat normal season, then I don't think you put an asterisk, an asterisk on a championship, right? I mean, it's just like everybody kind of had to deal with the same stuff. But I do think the question now is not would you put an asterisk on a championship, would you put an asterisk on a loss? And if Ohio State doesn't get this done against Clemson, is it sort of like, well, it was weird. They only played six games. They had three games canceled. They didn't start till October 24th. Chris Olave got COVID against Northwestern. Like all this stuff that – Justin Fields was playing great for the first three games. Then they went canceled game, canceled game, canceled game, and he got thrown off and didn't play that well. And Clemson played all these games, and they, you know, they had more time to work out the kinks. I really do feel like, and we have two texture questions along these lines, I feel like that's where we might be. That if it doesn't happen for Ohio State, even though this was everything everybody in and around the program wanted, Get back to the playoff, and not only that, get, a, get another shot at Clemson. It's exactly what you wanted. But it's not how you wanted it. And I do think, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's like there's a built-in excuse. So if this doesn't go well on Friday, and it gets away from them, and they just don't look, if for some reason, and we're not going to, but if for some reason, like the 2016 semifinal – had taken place in a pandemic world. And it's like, oh, Clemson beat Ohio State 31-0. It was like, yeah, well, but 
Like there's a yeah, well, but lined up for Ohio State. And I think people know that. And I think if it doesn't go well and down the road we're talking about, okay, Ohio State's now 0-5 against Clemson. Or Stephen just did a poll and wrote a story about which is the most painful loss. I think like this might be the least painful loss because people say, yeah, well, but. So now there are other considerations, but I do think the yeah, well, but, and the textures have helped me realize this, has crept in. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's an excuse. Like it's not an excuse in an inexcusable way. It's a reasonable excuse if it doesn't go well. Do you agree with it? To some extent, uh, I think it, it, it's definitely fair to say that for reasons beyond your control and reasons that did not equate with your opponent, that you didn't get to have the – you didn't get to go into this the way that teams normally go into this and the way that even maybe your opponent had a more smooth ride into the postseason. I, I totally agree with that. Um, on the other hand, I, it, it is always very – as you've pointed out multiple times – Ohio State's not going to have a quarterback better than Justin Fields. They might have one as good as Justin Fields, but you don't know that you're ever going to have one as good as Justin Fields. This is it. This is the last you get to ever put Justin Fields on a football team in Ohio State uniform. You can't assume that these next quarterbacks that are coming are going to be that level. They could be very, very good. You don't know that they're going to be to his level. You don't know, and especially in the short term, you looking ahead to even just next year's team, I think there's any number of reasons to expect a potential drop-off. And as you've pointed out before, that it kind of the way that you phrased a question that we'll get to later, maybe we should save this conversation for that. But it's a little bit dangerous to look ahead and say, you're going to be good in a few years. You're going to have a great quarterback in a few years. That, that opportunity is going to be there because that's how people were talking about 2019 and 2020 a couple years ago. And if you don't get it this year, that means this window will have passed without a national championship. So I understand what you're saying that there are there are there are reasons to that that the, the asterisk will will be um, applicable. I just don't know if it's actually going to make fans feel that much better about getting through this era and potentially not winning a national championship. So I guess part of it, I, I would say it like this: with when Jim Trestle was here, so Jim Trestle wins a national championship in 2002 and it's the first national championship in 30, 40 years, and it's unexpected. It's unexpected perfection, and it's just awesome. It is just the awesomest thing that anybody could ever want. And then they're really good. They're really good again in 03, even without Maurice Claret. They're really good in 03. They rebuild in 04, and then they're really good in 05. They're really good. And then they're undefeated number one in 06, and then they're back in the national championship game again in 07. But I would have said after 06 and 07, after the way they lost those national championship games, if you would have said to Ohio State fans, is Ohio State okay if they stay on this path? I think most fans would have said, no, something has to change. That Ohio State's best at this point is not good enough, even though they'd reached consecutive national title games. And that's a lot of what Terrell Pryor's arrival was about, that they need to go kind of next level on the recruiting and next level with the talent at quarterback, even though Troy won the Heisman and everything else. And so that then, we know how that went. They're really, really good. They lose a couple games they didn't expect to lose. They're not a national title. They're not in the national title race exactly. And I would have thought, even by the end of Trestle, even without the sanctions and stuff, in, in 2010, if they just would have been rolling as prior ended near the end of his career, and you would have said to Ohio State fans, is this enough? Are they on the right track? Is this enough? 
or do they need does something need to change? I think people still would have said, no, nope, something needs to change. It's still not quite good enough. It feels like college football offensively is maybe moving ahead at a speed that Ohio State's not keeping up with. And does something need to change in a recruiting standpoint? So then Urban comes and Urban changes a lot and they, he wins it in year three. And it's like, no, they got everything they need. And in 15, you said, well, what does you really need to change? I was like, well, they just had some screwy stuff with the coaches, but they've got what they need. 2016, they lose to Clemson. And if you would have said to Ohio State fans, is this good enough? They would have said, no, they absolutely need to change the coaching right now. Ed Warner and Tim Beck aren't good enough. They need a new offensive mind. Maybe Urban stuff is getting a little stale. They must change the coaches after 16. Nobody would have said, keep doing the same thing. So then Ryan Day comes 17 and 18. You build up with those classes in 17 and 18 of the number two in the country. You get to 2019. And last year, the way they played against Clemson, did anyone walk away from that Clemson game saying, if you said, Nathan, what Ohio State did, what they are, what they do, what they did, was that good enough or does something need to change? Or if they stay on this same path, are they okay? What would you have said the day after the Clemson game last year? I think, yeah, I think we did say it. I think they, you know, that they didn't lose that game because they were in a different class. They just lost a game against a really good team and they expected to be good again this year. So they're on the same track. You don't need to change anything. Keep doing what you're doing. So they cut, they get this year and they do what they do and all the stuff happens. If they don't beat Clemson, would we, are we going to say they need to change something or are we going to say, keep doing what they're doing and they're okay? I think that may depend on how the game goes. I think if they get just absolutely trounced by this offense, don't you think, I mean, that, that's going to look like it, it's going to, it's going to, it can potentially um, put a, a larger microscope on problems that have been there kind of creeping all season. Defensively. Defensively. You're going to say maybe defensively they need to do something different. This team's not quite good enough defensively. Uh, I mean, I would say, I mean, I've, I've all along, I've suspected that this team might not be good enough defensively to win a national championship. But do you think they're not good enough defensively because they're doing something wrong in recruiting because they're doing something wrong schematically or because they just kind of had a little bit of a talent dip on defense? Yeah, that can be, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that I know, I don't know if I have a strong opinion on that right now, but I think, I think elements of the first two things could both be at play this year. Okay. I would say most people are going to come out of this saying they're on the right track. So that's why I would say this is, this is in a different spot than there are times when you lose and the loss is the final straw on like, okay, that's not it. Now we need changes. I don't think there's changes after this. It's Kerry Combs, first year as a coordinator. All this stuff got screwy. You know, they don't have Chase Young, right? But like, they still got Larry Johnson. You figure, you know, Zach Harrison's going to develop. Here comes Jack Sawyer, right? I mean, they got, you know, they had a little dip in the, in the defensive back recruiting, but the thing that you would have thought needed to change already did change because they didn't have a good enough recruiting for like a year or two. But now they brought back Kerry Combs, who just lit it up in recruiting. So they kind of already fixed that thing. The linebackers, well, you know, maybe if you think, okay, we could use another Ryan Shazier at linebacker or, or A.J. Hawk. Well, I mean, it's like the 2022 guys at linebacker are bonkers. Right. Like, I feel like they're already whatever issue you would find with the defense. I think they already are in the process of a job of, of fixing. And I don't think it's a fundamental thing. So I do think 
in the end, this is a big picture loss where I don't think people are going to be in a panic mode. A, because I don't think there's a glaring flaw with either talent or coaching. And B, because it was so freaking weird, we didn't even maybe necessarily see the best of this team. So I just do think they're going to be in a pretty good spot, even off a loss on Friday, when you think about the future of this program. What were the, the texture questions you got that might help frame this? Two questions. One was this, and I, I tried to put people on the spot with this one. What's closer to how you are viewing this Ohio State-Clemson matchup, considering everything that has happened this season? And I told them, I know the two choices are a stark contrast and you might be in the middle, but I made them pick one or the other. The two choices are this. It's a must win for the program because they need to reach a title game with a quarterback as talented as Justin Fields. Kind of what we said, when are you ever going to have a guy better than this? Are you telling me we didn't even play for a title with this guy? Oh my God, you can't waste him. Or is it this year has been crazy. I'm glad they made it this far. I'm hoping for the best, but maybe it's not meant to be. More of a kind of throw your hands up at the pandemic. What are you going to do? But I'm not going to like freak out and feel like it was, you know, an absolute sort of program failure that they didn't get farther with Justin Fields. So those are the only two choices I gave people. Which do you think won, Nathan? That's a great question. Was it close? It was close. I'm going to say that this year has been crazy, one, narrowly. You are correct. You're getting, we said you're getting very good at this. 54-46. Oh. So I understand it's a, it's a – and I'm sure, again, a lot of people are in the middle. But like without the pandemic, if you would have asked the same thing, I think it might have been like 80% like, hey, man, we got to win with Justin Fields. What are we doing, right? That if you just said like, hey, what are you going to do? Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, right? but everything's normal. I think it might've been 80, 20, like, yo, time to get it done. And so um, I think that's just where we are. And then, and that's related to the future. So this was the other question. Does Ohio state's continued recruiting success, especially at quarterback affect how you view this season? The choices were this. No, I view every chance to win it all as a big deal because you never know the future. Yes. It does affect how I view it. It takes some pressure off because the talent's still coming. It's like, listen, you know, I mean, we know they're going to be good. So, like, it takes some pressure off. Or, yes, it takes a lot of pressure off because I know that Ohio State's going to contend every year. Because, like, they are in the – basically, I didn't say this, but, like, they're in the top tier. No single season is all – is life or death because, man, they got Kyle McCord, C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, Quinn Ewers – Emeka Ekbuka, uh, Caleb Burton, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, all the, they just got dudes lined up. Trevion Henderson, Evan Pryor, there's dudes lined up so much that like every year is a national championship year. Pressure's way off. So there were two yes possibilities and one no possibility. Which do you think won there, Nathan? Wait, no. because, of that, because of that, I would guess that the no won. So if you think the no won, what, do you, what percent do you think the no got? 43%. So 56% said no. No, hmm. I view every season as a chance. It doesn't take pressure off. I'm not thinking about the future. I'm thinking about now. 
30% said it takes off some pressure. 14% said it takes off a lot of pressure. So 56% are sort of like, well, whatever. Because that, that to me is like LSU. Like LSU would have been like, listen, man, what are we? Uh, I mean, I, come on. Like we were, we're going to lose everybody. It is now or never. That would have been like a 90% to me, LSU last year. And then Bama, Bama to me is probably like, well, what? I don't know. Or what? Or what? We just have the number one class next year. And then we're back here. Like to, to me, I don't know that any year for Bama could ever rise. So I think Ohio State is somewhere in between last year, sort of one hit wonder LSU and practically make the national title game sure thing every year, Alabama. Ohio State's between that. I would say Ohio State's closer to Bama than they are to LSU. Closer to, you know what? Yeah. There's always another chance around the corner. So I was a little surprised that it was more than half that said no. No, like we, I want it. This is it. You never know what's coming around the corner. I, I thought that was a little higher than I thought. Well, I think Ohio State fans, though, because they've been through this, I think they look at it as, okay, yes, we're going to be in playoff contention every year, but – it needs to pay off more again and to kind of go back to what you were saying coming out of 2016, they, they looked at that disparity between them and Clemson and thought, okay, something's got to change. We've got to go out and get another level of player. We've got to change over the coaching staff. They did that with that great 2017 recruiting class, um, backed it up with some more really great players in 2018. And again, so far that has not yielded championship. Now it gets dangerous to talk about teams only in that lens because it's incredibly hard to win a national championship. It's really hard to get to the playoff. It's really hard to beat two really great teams in a row, or, well, one, depending on which seed you draw, and win a national championship. That, it's really hard, and if that's the only thing you're judging a program by, that's difficult. But, again, like how many more cycles of that do you go through before, that, before Ohio State fans do start to wonder, when is this going to pay off? It's like how long in the modern era can Ohio State go without winning a national championship before everybody gets restless? which is a, a great question, actually, which is a great texter question. That the idea of, I mean, like, it's, it's crazy, but it's like, okay, well, 2014 is six years away, right? It's been six years, and it's like, okay, well, if next year they have a young quarterback and maybe they're not quite ready, and then 22, and then maybe 23 is their year, and now it's like, now you're coming up on 10 years, right? I mean, you can very easily start – freaking yourself out that way and it's like oh my god it's been 12 years and Ohio State hasn't won a national championship so I don't want to freak people out I, here's the other thing that I think is a caveat to the thing that you mentioned before and the thing that I've been asking here I don't know that you're ever going to have a quarterback who's better than Justin Fields I think you might have a quarterback who's playing better than Justin Fields is right now though <laughs> like oh, that's fair yep that if Justin Fields was playing at peak Justin Fields, I think a lot of the answers to these questions would be different. I think, I think Ohio State fans would feel better about defending the run with Trevor Lawrence if Justin Fields was a Heisman finalist. You know what I mean? Like it would just seep yeah. into everything you do. So the underlying issue with everything right now is that Justin Fields is not playing like Justin Fields. Yeah. And if you can guarantee that he plays like peak Justin Fields, man, it's on. And then everybody's back on like, this is our year. Here we go. Let's roll. This is our guy. But it's, it's very hard because when you watch him against Northwestern and you're like, okay, that it's like, well, I, and we already went over this, but like, well, I mean, they'll probably have a guy play better than that in the playoff again sometime because he didn't play that well. 
And again, I do think the tiers play into this a little bit because so, so since they won in 2014, the national championships, since Ohio State won in 2014, the national championships have gone Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Clemson, LSU with a former Ohio State quarterback. So it and, and Ohio State's been kind of like right there. So it's like it it has kind of emphasized the fact that there is a very exclusive club that they are just on the outside of. Like I think if if the last five years had gone Alabama, Clemson, USC, Texas, or Oklahoma, LSU, that that maybe would affect the way that Ohio State fans are looking at this a little bit. Do you think? Yeah, and I think this is where, like, the four-team playoff, as much as I – and I have a rant about the four-team playoff about, like, I'm just sick of everybody saying, like, well, you know, why doesn't Cincinnati get in if you open it up? Like, the four-team playoff has hurt Ohio State and I think has hurt Ohio State's psyche. Because what the four-team playoff does is you only got to win two games. So it's like, okay, well, you lessen the chances of somebody getting upset then probably, right? That, you know, Alabama as a two-seed is not playing seven-seed USC or whatever. Like, they don't have to win three games. They only have to win two. But yet, so it's small enough for the favorites to win, but it's, and it's also small enough to keep Ohio State out. Because as we've said – Ohio State's issue isn't really losing in the playoff. It's not getting in the playoff. So since they won their last national title, they were awesome, didn't get in, overrated, did get in and got blown out, very good, didn't get in, very good, didn't get in, very good, got in, and lost a game they should have won. So it's like those three years, if they would have gotten in, if, if it was an 18 playoff in 15, 17, and 18, they would have been in. And now it's like, all right, well, could they win a national championship as a five or six or seven seed? Heck, yeah, they could have won a national championship as a five, six, or seven seed. You don't think the 2015 Buckeyes could have won the national championship as a seven seed? They absolutely could have won as a seven seed. Sure. And, like, as nuts as, like, the 2018 defense was, it's like, all right, you're a six. Take your chances. See if Dwayne can throw for 450 yards and win three games. I don't know. Why not? So it really – it's helped create this exclusive club of which there are only two members and Ohio state has, has had fewer chances to get in the club. So that four, as much as I say, I don't care about the eight helping out the little guy, the eight really would have helped out Ohio state. And it would have made it at least a little bit harder on Clemson and Alabama to get there every single year, because maybe somewhere along the line, one of them as a two seed would have lost to a seven. So how much do you, believe the asterisk is fair and that, that this this will be an asterisk if, if they lose and I guess the, the correlation to that question is then do you not if Ohio State loses does the gap between it and the Bama Clemson tier not grow I think it doesn't in the Ohio State side of things I think they do use the asterisk and I think it's reasonable I think like you know whatever 50 years from now if Ohio State loses to Clemson, they're like, what was that year? Why was Ohio State six and one, but lost in the playoff semifinal? What happened that year? People, and I think the answer to that question is, oh yeah, they lost to Clemson, but they almost didn't even play that year. Like the answer, the part of the sentence that is they lost to Clemson, I guess is first, but it's not the longest part of the sentence. And it's not the longest part of the paragraph, and it's not the longest part of the story. It's the first – they lost to Clemson. That's another finger count by Doug. That's four words. They lost to Clemson, and then the butt takes up like three minutes. But it's all about the butt. So it's an ass – it's a butt season. It's an ass – that – I mean, that is one of the better ones. 
it's all about the Buckeye talk. Because I'm also sitting here making up all the excuses for the Browns because they lost to the Jets today without their five best receivers and without three of their top six offensive linemen. Yeah. So it is. I mean, if, not, if the Browns miss the playoffs out of all this, it's an asterisk for the Browns because it's like, what happened to the Browns? Like, remember that game? They lost to the Jets. The Jets were the worst team in the league. It's like, yeah, but they didn't play without their five best receivers. It's like, what? So I really do think, but I, I don't think, right? I mean, because Nathan, that story is not, yeah, man. They lost to Clemson for the second year in a row, and Justin Fields didn't even make a national championship game. And their defense had some troubles on the back end. They didn't, they didn't have a pass rusher as good as Chase, and their running game was slow to come around. That's not the story of this season. It's not. As much as Ryan Day said Ohio State has a chance to write one of the greatest stories in college football history, they also have a chance to write one of the greatest excuses in college football history <laughs> if it doesn't go their way. And I think they will. And I think that's how it will go down in the history books. The excuse is written for them. It's not something they have to write. I mean, I think, I think it'll be how it's recognized. I think you're right, probably, by history in the long term. And, you know, as much as it would be a, a real letdown to have a quarterback as great as Justin Fields and potentially not win a national championship, um, which, and it's sad, like maybe that we're even talking about it a week ahead of the game. Trust me, everybody who's listening to this out there, we're going to talk about this game in detail throughout the week. This isn't, we're not resigned to an Ohio State loss tonight, but we're just trying to kind of frame the week. And uh, as much as that would be disappointing, you can look back through college football history and find a bunch of really great quarterbacks who didn't win one. And in fact, some programs who won one, like right on the tails of having a great quarterback come through, whether that was Tennessee, whether that was, that's the first one that jumps to mind for me, but there's other examples I'm sure you can think of um, that. That's just sometimes how it works out. It, it's, it's, it's really hard to sync everything up and win a championship. It just is. Yeah. And I do think uh, they're definitely not a one-year wonder. Um, and who knows? I mean, quarterbacks get ready fast. So as much as we're all prepared for them to take a, whatever half of a step back while they work in a new quarterback next year, I mean, it's certainly possible for them to like win a national championship with a redshirt freshman or a true freshman, a quarterback, because we in the modern era have a bunch of examples of that kind of thing happening. We're going to take a break there. We're going to come back and wrap up this Monday madness edition of Buckeye talk. Thanks for sticking with us. Back on Buckeye talk to wrap up Monday madness, Doug, you got some rants. It's not a Monday madness, but I think you've got some rants. You already kind of mentioned that I think I could feel them. Do you want to start with the four-team playoff? Do you want to start with Coastal Carolina? Let, let's hear what you got. So, actually, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about Urban Meyer and the NFL oh, good for point, a second, yes. too, because that came up. Uh, but I want to talk about first, I just am confused, and I just would like people to set me straight. Am I supposed to respect and treat as a playoff contender BYU? who lost to Coastal Carolina, or am I supposed to respect and treat as a playoff contender Coastal Carolina, who lost to Liberty, or am I supposed to respect and treat us as a playoff contender Liberty, who lost to NC State, who's a three-loss ACC team, and I know some people might say, well, that's a pretty good loss for Liberty as a, to lose by one point to a three-loss ACC team, but if I tried to tell somebody that North Carolina State is supposed to be thought of as a playoff contender, you'd be laughed off the college football beat. So what's the difference? If North Carolina State isn't a college football playoff contender, then why is Liberty and why is Coastal Carolina and why is BYU? 
and I'm saying this because Liberty and Coastal Carolina played in a bowl two days ago. They went to overtime. Liberty won in overtime. It was a weird, crazy ending. But the whole point is, I, if your point is like, well, all these smaller schools, smaller conference teams are all beating each other up and it shows how good they are. No, I don't want to hear it. They're a nice story, but, but don't, don't bother me. Don't bother me unless you are making the Tim Beck North Carolina State savior why three lost North Carolina State should be in the playoff. I don't want to hear it because it's all silly. And if somebody else was losing to Liberty in a bowl game and then trying to try to claim that like, oh, we should have been, I just, I don't, it was the final straw for me. And there's the story and there's the congratulations on a fine season to the underdogs, but please stop bothering me with any kind of playoff, with any kind of left out, with any kind of ignored, with any kind of feel sorry for talk, because it's all fraudulent. They're on a different level. Accept it. Don't get all indignant about it. Well, how di- it's not the deal. Stop being fake. It's fake. Why do we have to do it? Let Liberty and Coastal play, but please don't tell me why they should have like been ahead of Oklahoma in the final playoff ratings. Because it's a freaking joke. You know, I find it interesting that there are people out there who are concerned about the playoff having too much importance. And I think even especially just among Power Five conversations that it has kind of overtaken things. And we talk about Power Five success too much only in terms of the playoff. But then you have this whole other segment of people who are sort of limiting how we can talk about these other programs and the seasons that they have as to whether or not they get in the playoff. So they're, right. they're kind of diminishing the seasons that those teams have that, that, that there's, they were somehow, it somehow diminishes what they accomplished this year, that they weren't voted into the upper, upper, upper echelon of the teams that made the playoff. And that's, that's a problem that I think that I have. Like I, 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 I am for an expanded playoff. I think that if you were to reserve one spot for one of those teams, Um, I don't think that that would be a travesty, but it wouldn't have been any of those teams this year. It would have been Cincinnati. And then an 18, right. And and we don't want to keep saying the same thing, but as I think you make a good point, it's like, if we just want to talk about them, congratulations on your great season. What an interesting story. Wow. Fun game. Then fine. But you, it makes me mad when people insist on it being sort of a, of a playoff discussion or an underdog discussion or, or it's not fair discussion. Cause guess what? It is fair. It is. It really is fair. It is. Well, the conversation you should get to have then is like, oh, well, like how much more would we respect Liberty if they had beaten North Carolina State? That alone would make them uh, it would enhance their season. But they didn't. They, the they, opposite of that thing happened. And they did. They beat Virginia Tech this year. I get it. They beat Southern Miss. I get it. I get it. But again, I mean, I just I just I just hate it. I just hate it. And there's just a subsection of college football media that that dwell in that world. And I don't know what they're trying to prove other than. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. It's fairy tale stuff. It's stuff you tell your kids. If you dream it, you can do it. Guess what? No, you can't. Everybody has dreams. Most don't get to do. If you believe in yourself, anything is possible. Wrong. It is totally not true. I, I don't mean to ruin anybody's dreams. I wrote an essay about this like in fifth grade, and I got an A on it because it was about how somebody, somebody dreamed something and he did it, 
and that was the like the book I read, and I was like, this is crap, because I'm gonna dream the same thing. And guess what? I'm not gonna be a major league baseball player. I'm gonna dream the bejesus out of it. But guess what? I already know it's not gonna work. I'm gonna dream it every day, but I don't have the talent. So don't tell me if you believe anything when you wish up. No, it's fairy tale crap. So keep it out of the four team playoff. It's really funny in this profession and it, it, it gives you good perspective because you, everybody remembers everybody who grew up sports fans, you grew up thinking when you were a kid, like, Oh, if I just, you know, uh, what, what position am I going to play when the Cardinals draft me or whatever? You know what I mean? Like you always have those thoughts and then you like get in this profession and you meet like guys who can barely make, professional rosters in their sport and look at them as athletes. You're like, Oh my God, what was I ever thinking? Like, I should have just like, why didn't I have the reason to like look at my mom and look at my dad and be like, there's no chance this is happening. It does not matter how many, I could work 25 hours a day somehow. And it's not going to happen. Now I feel bad for the kids out there. Oh no. The kids listen to this podcast. They can definitely do it. Yeah. They, 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 just if you don't listen to Buckeye talk, then your dreams will die. Yeah. But if you yeah. listen to Buckeye talk, yeah, that dream stuff's great. Okay. Sorry. No, if you believe it, yeah, if you believe it, you can do it. That's what I meant. Uh, the other thing is Urban Meyer floated as a Jacksonville Jaguars candidate. Um, I don't know. Like that, Kyle Rowland and Adam Schefter reported that. Um, I think Urban likes having his name in the rumor mill. Um, a year ago, people reported there was strong interest that the Browns had in Urban Meyer, and then the Browns were like, what? What are you talking about? They hired Kevin Stefanski. So I don't know. It's the rumor mill. That's how it works. Um, urban in the NFL, like the Florida angle, like going back to central Florida from a lifestyle standpoint, I get, I just don't understand like the, how urban, like even with Trevor Lawrence they're I mean, the, the Bengals, the Bengals got Joe Burrow and won three games this year. Now Joe got hurt. They were getting better at the end of the year. They might've won five, you know, if they would have had him. Although I guess they won on Sunday without him. So I don't know, but I mean, like, I just don't know that that's going to bring him joy and that that's going to make sense for anybody. So I know it's something that people are talking about. But I am at the point with Urban, I'm much more, I sort of believe it more with Urban when it feels like to me that the stuff is coming from the teams. Like I thought the Texas stuff was coming from Texas and Texas was like, we want Urban Meyer. And then the issue was, can you persuade Urban Meyer to take the job? So, but you know, the team kind of wants him when it feels like it might be coming from the other side. And then it's like, okay, well, is that where the Jaguars are going to be with like all the possible people in all the world that that's where they would go. That's where I'm just a little, just like with the Browns, just like some with the USC stuff. It's like, I don't, I don't know, but I think urban's going to be like John Gruden in that he's going to be one of the hottest names in the rumor mill. As long as he's a free agent, John Gruden didn't coach for a decade. He was out of out of football. His last year was 08. He didn't get back in again until 18. And every year, Tennessee thought they were hiring John Gruden. You know, and every year the Browns thought they were hiring John Gruden, and nobody ever was. But it was always came up. I mean, clearly John Gruden's agent or somebody wanted John Gruden's name out there. And then it finally did happen. Finally, somebody was right. He took the Raiders job. So maybe somebody's going to finally be right, and it's going to be true, and Urban's going to take a job. But man, I just, if you're like all, if you're juiced up about it, I'm just like throwing up my shoulders of like, maybe I guess, but I'm not putting a lot in it at the moment. Wait, and how many years was Bill Cower supposedly coaching another team and, and just every, every, every single year and it never came to anything. And um, 
I, I, you know, the Texas thing made so much sense, really. If you're a program of the stature of Texas, you look out at the available people out there and you say, who's the very best, at, who's the top of the list of any coaching candidacy list? Who's that guy? Let's go make him say no, and then we'll move on. I, that, everything there made sense to me. And it even made fit. If, if Urban Meyer wanted to get back into coaching, I thought Texas made sense as a fit there potentially for that too. But yeah, I, I, and I don't know him as well as you do, and I haven't been around it as much as you have, but there, the, I have skepticism about this particular fit especially. It's also just not a healthy franchise in some ways. Well, it's going to get healthy. They're going to get Trevor Lawrence. So, I mean, that, that's going to get him healthy real quick, but they have other things. That's not their only single issue. They were, I mean, they were, they were a playoff team two or three years ago with Blake Bortles. So um, I think their owner's okay. I mean, uh, I don't know. They, they were in some weird stuff with Tom Coughlin for a while. So, I mean, a lot of NFL people will tell you it's a good job, but it's actually one of those that might be such a good job. It's like, is that where they go? What if they can get, I mean, I don't An know. An NFL coach? I think it's Sean Payton to like right. switch from the Saints because Drew Brees is retiring and Sean Payton's like, I need to change the scenery. I'll go to Jacksonville. Like that's the kind of thing that, you know, it's, I just am not, I'm not there on that yet. If it happens, great. Good luck to Urban. He is a very attractive candidate in a lot of ways. Uh, just the way it came out today, I just don't want people like jumping the gun and feeling like, hey, this is about to happen. Well, let's, then let's answer the other question that Ohio State fans would have, even though it is farther down the line. Do you think there's a difference? We've speculated about what effect it would have if Urban Meyer took another college job on who he might take with him, that sort of thing. Does, do you think the same assumptions apply there as to who might go, who might stay, or is it a different equation because it's the NFL? Yeah, I think it's a different equation. I mean, like the big stuff is Mariotti and Pantone. And so Pantone's not going anywhere in the NFL. Although, frankly, actually – like Mark Pantone keeps talking about how like he really is sort of more like a GM now in the program. And he was talking about doing scouting, opponent scouting and stuff. It's like, I'm not so sure that Pantone wouldn't mind trying to be an NFL GM or assistant GM or something. So I almost now I'm talking myself into like, well, maybe he'd go do that and try to be like, I mean, if he's a scout, he scouts, he scouts talent and decides who their team should go after. So he could be the assistant. Well, now I'm talking myself into that. Now I'm talking myself into <laughs> Urban being the head coach of the Jaguars and Mark Pantone being the assistant GM and Urban having say in the actual GM they hire. Hmm. That feels weird. Okay. I mean, like, like would Brian Hartline want to go be the Jaguars receivers coach if he wants to go to the NFL rather than stay here? I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things. Brian Day is not going anywhere. Um I don't know. I, I just think the main thing about all this discussion is, is that they are separated enough from the urban era that urban left the systems in place, but they're separated enough now that it's not a death blow. They're fine. And then if Pantone ever does leave for that, for a job like that or any other reason, then they're just going to bring back one of his former lieutenants to be the guy. Aaron Hodges, who's doing it for Purdue, is going to come back and do it at Ohio State. And he learned everything from Pantone. You know, so it's one of those things. And or if, if Mick leaves, I mean, they have enough strength coaches all over the place now. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Jeff Halfley's strength coach is, a, is an Ohio State guy. I mean, like every time an Ohio State coach leaves, he hires the assistant strength coach from Ohio State as his strength coach. So they would just bring in a guy who learned at Mick's knee to do the Mick things. So that's the one thing about this, that that urban structure was so strong that Ryan was able to step into what urban did in his own way, but he into the structure. And I think if Mick or Mark ever do leave, it'll be a similar opportunity for a transition that they'll end up hiring somebody who learned under those guys who will come in and in their own way, do their own thing, 
but keep it within the structure. And it, it really is the structure at Ohio State of how they operate. Instituted by Urban Meyer, continued by Ryan Day, modified and continued and strengthened by Ryan Day. That is humming along, man. And so I do think they could survive. Not anything, because people do matter. I mean, that's the people get mad sometimes when you don't want to be robots. You don't want to just be pegs in the, in the circuitry. People do matter. But I think there's multiple people at multiple jobs who could succeed with the structure the way it is. Anything else you want to hit before we wrap it up? No, I was just mostly about mad about. But I just don't understand why Hugh Freeze, who like had NCAA, NCAA violations and like crazy stuff at Ole Miss, got whacked, wound up at Liberty, and now everybody's like, "Oh, is there another SEC opening?" Oh, Hugh Freeze, and I'm just always like, "Are people ignoring the fact that he got caught for cheating, or forgetting the fact that he got caught for cheating?" Because apparently nobody cares. Because whenever his name comes up, nobody says Hugh Freeze, comma, who got caught for cheating. They just say, Hugh Freeze, Liberty, they beat him. They only lost to NC State by a point. Hire him. And it just drives me bonkers because I guess we don't care. I guess we don't care. I guess you just cheat. And then if you're, you go to a small enough school for long enough that everybody forgets, and then you can come back to the same conference and go and probably cheat again. But I guess it's okay because we don't remember those things anymore. Are you saying that it's kind of silly if, like, you're um, – you're- football coach has to leave under uh, a cloud of violations. And then it, several years later, people are pushing him to come back and be the president of the university. Like, would that be kind of silly? Uh, you know, it almost makes more sense, frankly. And I know what you're <laughs> saying, but they're not trying to saying, hire him as a football coach. And I don't know. That was I don't think saying. either. I don't think I either makes sense. But. I didn't. I'm not throwing. I'm not here to throw trestle shade. We've been down that all that road enough. You're the new guy. You didn't cover any of that, That's and true. you're just coming in throwing trestle shade. So, I'm saying that. I'm guy, not even throwing trestle shade as much. I'm just saying that there's that every fan base that that those realities can get distorted by every fan base. But I feel like every other fan base. If if somebody else wanted to hire trestle their fan base would have been like, yeah, but didn't he kind of get caught for cheating? And nobody's – no. but by the way, when the media covered Tress, I feel like Tress had Tressel, comma, who lost his job over NCAA sanctions. I do not see the comma with Hugh Freeze. I see Liberty. Woo, Liberty. It's so exciting. Well, again, and I don't want to minimize – we're going to get in a whole tangent here. I don't want to minimize this topic, but, like, Greg Schiano tries to get a job in the SEC and can't for something he – didn't really even have any involvement in, but then Hugh Freeze has direct involvement with NCAA sanctions. And now they're trying to like welcome him back to the SEC with open arms. It's, it's a really uh, strange sports landscape we have in this country, quite frankly. Yeah, no, it is. I don't know. Probably people don't want to hear us talk about this, but. Well, that's madness. That's why it's Monday madness. Yeah. And that wraps up another one. Uh, stay tuned to Buckeye Talk all week. Um, we are going to be doing interviews tomorrow with Clemson and Ohio State players and coaches. So what we learned from that will be the Tuesday morning pod. We'll do them again on Tuesday, flip sides of the ball. What we learned on Tuesday will be the Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Thursday will be our usual picks pod because then the game is Friday. So Steve and I are heading down to New Orleans on Thursday, but you're going to have the usual Buckeye Talks all week. We'll do a post-game Buckeye Talk whenever that game ends uh, Thursday. And uh, just 
just the, the usual week full of programming and then everything else that we do for you at cleveland.com OSU and the text 614-350-3315. That is our first line of reporting everything this week. And uh, now's a great time to jump on if you haven't for the two week free trial. Um, and then $4.99 a month, $4.99, yeah, $3.99 a month after that. So sign up and come along with us. I'm Nathan Baird. He was Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>